0: Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore, with your host, Matthew Miller. We give you pint-sized, bite-sized pieces of supernatural monster lore, exploring their origins, their history, and their meaning to the human condition. Listen, if you dare. <laughs> Good evening, welcome to Fangs and Folklore. Tonight we have a very special episode, for I'll be reading chapter one from my own horror novel, Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story. It's volume one of the Gravediggers series. The Gravediggers are a punk rock band who keep crossing paths with all sorts of evil, nasty, fiendish creatures of the night. It's available on Amazon, and it's a six-part series, volumes one through three are available. Volume 4 is coming any day now. This is Volume 1 Blood Feud, a Punk Rock Vampire Story, Chapter 1, entitled A Boy Goes to War. West Virginia, January 7th, 1865. It's hard enough being a seven foot tall teenager without also having to dodge flying musket balls. Asa Harmon McCoy was finding this out the hard way. Like so many Civil War soldiers, Asa was just a teenager when he had left home to fight for the Union against the Confederacy. Also, like so many soldiers in all wars, he had held a glorified view of war until the bullets had started flying and then he had instantly realized it was hell on earth. So he thought it was a little ridiculous that he found himself on a battlefield holding a musket and wearing a blue uniform, looking across at the enemy. The enemy were a bunch of boys just like him, just as scared and just as awkward. He was supposed to shoot and kill them, but he didn't really want to do that. They were fellow Americans, after all, and even some of his own family were fighting for the Confederacy. What if he accidentally killed family? Could he ever forgive himself? In any case, Sergeant Tapnick was shouting at everyone to shoot, so he couldn't just stand there doing nothing. He loaded his musket and pointed it in the general direction of an enemy troop who was also loading his musket frantically. The enemy saw Asa aiming, and the look of panic and terror washed onto his face as he realized what was happening. The poor boy looked about 13 years old, barely old enough to even function without his mother. Asa just couldn't do it. He fired the bullet into the ground in front of the poor boy. When the boy understood what Asa had done, he smiled, nodded, and mouthed the words, Thank you. Other boys were not so lucky. In the middle of the battlefield, between the two warring sides, lay the young casualties of war. Just boys, they had been cut down in the flower of their youths. Many were dead and already becoming stiff and pale. The ones who were wounded were screaming. They screamed for help, screamed for friends, screamed for their mommies to save them. No one could save them, however, while the battle still raged. Some of them were missing arms or legs, or had gaping bloody holes in their bodies in places where holes should never be. One of them even had a hole in his skull, the result of a leaden musket ball that had cracked it open without killing him, and his gray brains were visible. Another was trying to hold his intestines inside of the gaping maw in his stomach. There is nothing glorious about war, thought Asa and every other kid there. As the sun set, the shots began to slow, until nightfall brought an end to that day's fighting with an implied ceasefire. Both sides returned to their camp to eat and drink. Medics tried in vain to heal the wounded, and some boys wrote letters to their mothers. Some smoked tobacco out of corncob pipes. As the campfires crackled, the boys sat around in companies, and some began to tell ghost stories for entertainment. One of the older boys in Ass's company, a boy of maybe 17 years, had grown up right near the battlefield, and he began to tell them of a local legend. When I was growing up here, my grandpappy used to tell us stories about the forest. One of them stories was about a creature that's been living here since before us, even before the engines, before man was here. Now, there's plenty of creatures out there, some good, some bad. Some of them are ghosts, some of them are Wendigos, and some of them are the angry spirits of people who've died in violence. Some of them glanced out at the battlefield. They could still hear some of the last surviving boys screaming like babies. It was too dangerous to help them. They were simply going to have to be left to die in agony. The boy continued. Grandpappy said there's one creature out here that's the worst of them all. He said there ain't no name for it. Even the Injuns ain't got a name for it. They feared and avoided it. They thought giving it a name would give it power. Cherokee, Shawnee, Tootlow, Saponi, they all told tales of the demon. What kind of spirit, Jake? asked a boy of about twelve, whose voice had not even changed yet. A dark, dark spirit. Black. The blackest black you ever seen. As the campfire's smoke curled up into the dark canopy of pine trees, the boys scooted a little closer to one another. Yep, blacker and black, the boy went on. It's bad, too. Wicked bad. Real evil, boys. Because it don't just haint you, don't just scare you. Now the Wendigo, it'll bite you and make you want to eat other people, but this one, the one without a name, it drinks your blood. It drinks it all down till you die from being drained of all your blood, the boys gasped. And that ain't it. When it drinks your blood, you die, but you come back. You come back like one of them, like the dark thing. And then you start craving the blood of other people and you start killing them and making them like you until everyone in a village is a monster. It's so bad, so evil that it can't go out in the day because the sun will burn it all up. It can't go near nothing Christian because it'll scare it away. It's like a dead person what's come back as a monster. Some of the younger boys had begun to turn their heads anxiously to look in the forest around them. Oh, that's just a legend, Jake, said Asa confidently. Jake answered, "'Well, Asa, maybe it is, and maybe it ain't. "'You know, the Injuns know this forest lots better than us, and they say it's true. "'But who knows?' "'The group of boys puffed on their pipes in silence, "'pondering the tale that Jake had just told them. "'The pine forest around them was silent, too. "'Too silent.' "'No animals scurried or called about. "'A scream came from the Confederate cramp across the field. "'What was that?' asked Asa. "'Some poor bastard getting his leg amputated, I'll bet,' said Jake. Another shriek sounded across the field, then another. "'That's loss of amputation,' said one boy. "'Wait,' said Asha. "'Hush. Just listen.' The screams increased until dozens of Confederate men were crying out in mortal terror. Soon it sounded like the whole damn Confederate army was yelling for mercy, and then, in a matter of seconds, the screams ended. "'Something ain't right there,' noted Jake. The trees around the Union camp began to shiver like there was a strong breeze, quivering in the way that only pine trees do. The boys were looking around nervously like prairie dogs. Asa looked across the camp at another campfire, around which some other boys were sitting, and pangs of fear gripped his stomach as he saw a raven-black figure seem to sweep between him and the fire. The figure was tall, and it seemed to hover inches off the ground as it passed back into the forest. Asa was not the only boy to notice them, as several others in his company frantically looked around from campfire to campfire. The dark figures were everywhere at once, moving at impossible speeds. They began to pounce upon the soldiers, ripping them apart, pulling off heads, tearing open chests worse than any musket ball ever could. The screams of dread and pain were like those that had come from the Confederate side. Each one cut short as one of the horrors killed some poor boy, then bent down to his neck and began audibly guzzling and slurping his blood. The gurgling blood was like a forest stream, but thick and viscous rather than sprite and bubbly. The entire encampment was being torn apart by the creatures, and Asa fainted from fear. He must have remained unconscious for an entire day, for when we came to, it was evening again, and he was in the same place. He could no longer move his tongue around his desiccated mouth, and his nostrils were on fire and bleeding. His neck was too stiff to even think of turning, and he ached with a sick hunger and thirst. Death seemed like the best option, and he would have chosen that, were it not for a thought of his beloved mother waiting for him at home. She likely would receive news soon of the battle and of the number of casualties, and if he did not return home, she would be heartbroken. The thought of that pained his heart and soul to a depth never before reached by any of life's troubles. He would have cried, but there was not enough liquid left in his husk. Moving was next to impossible, but he began by scratching his fingers in the dirt and then swaying his forearms slowly, then his upper arm, and then his other limbs, until he had broken the seal of stiffness. Over the course of at least ten minutes, Asa suffered searing bursts of pain in his joints and muscles, but finally managed to bear a convincing resemblance to standing upright. Hobbling through the gory remains of the Union camp, he found some water and food rations. Asa turned in the direction of his home and began heading back. In a while, he began to see familiar surroundings on the road. He was about one hour's walk from his home, and that thought warmed him with great cheer, even though the night was falling fast. He limped, yet still picked up his pace, the hearth warmth tugging at his heartstrings as if a real, fleshy arms warming his spirit so that the bloody gashes and cuts about his body felt like mere caresses. His salivary glands tingled the way they did before a big feast, and he fantasized about the warm, savory flavors that he would enjoy that night. Well, 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 what do we have here, boys? A youthful, twangy voice rang out from the side of the path, and before he had time to even register it... He saw six or seven Confederates emerging from the brush, grinning like cats who had cornered their mouths. "'Oh, hell,' muttered Asa. "'Boys, I think I see me a Yankee here. Ain't you a Yankee man?' "'I just want to go home,' Asa pleaded. "'Please, I was almost killed in the battle. Please just let me pass.' "'Please just let me pass,' mocked the leader of the gang in an effeminate voice. "'You're a Yankee.' Asa remained silent, squinting his eyes in a desperate plea for mercy when recognition swept across the leader's face. Well, damn, boys, look at who we got here. If it ain't another other than one Asa McCoy. That's a McCoy? asked one of the boys incredulously. McCoy, your clan's been our neighbors for years, and you went and turned against us in the war. Why would you do a thing like that? I, I, look, this war has messed us all up, begged Asa. Now, boys, your family and mine's known each other far too long to let this war divide us like this. "'Every man makes his choices, and every man must live with the consequences,' answered the leader as he swaggered toward Asa with a pistol in his hand. "'What'd you say, boys? A little extrajudicial justice? We are at war, to be sure, and this un here's the enemy, ain't he?' The other Confederate boys laughed and nodded, one calling out, "'Damn right, Lucius, and ain't we commanded to kill the enemy?' "'That we are, Titus,' answered Lucius, while cocking back the pistol's hammer." "'Why, I reckon it'd be treason to let the enemy live,' the boys chuckled again. "'Finish him, Titus. Think of all them boys he must have killed from our side,' said a boy in the back of the group. "'Oh, oh, no. Oh, please now, Titus,' begged Asa. "'Please just let me go home. Consider it a favor from family to family. "'I got my poor mother waiting for me at home. Please don't kill me.' Asa, exhausted to the point of shaking, fell to his knees in supplication, only causing the Confederates to laugh at him, and Titus to put the pistol to his temple." "'Say goodbye to this world, McCoy. "'He who lives by the sword shall die by the—' Titus's words were cut off by a black figure rushing out of the forest at the speed of a bullet. It tore Titus's head off. Then when it did the same to every one of his horrified companions before they could even scream in fear, Asa watched for a second time as the creature tore into their necks and slurped their blood. Too tired to move, Asa had no choice but to watch in a combination of fascination and disgust.' After feeding, however, the creature turned toward Asa. It was like a person in its shape, but under a black cloak and hood that looked as if they were made out of the very night and the fabric of the universe. The face was invisible behind the blackness, save two glowing red dots that must have been the thing's eyes. Well, that was apparently enough to endow young Asa with superhuman strength, for he stood up and began to run away from the thing, as if he were fresh from a good night's sleep. Lucky was he that, even in his state of panic and terror, He managed to run in the direction of his home, and once he came to that knowledge, he ran like the wind, adrenaline masking all of the battle wounds and agonies. He ran for a time that seemed like forever, but was in reality, just a couple of minutes, until the thick, dark forest surrounding him gave way to a faint yellow glow, a glow which expanded like the iris of an eye until he could see through the trees his homestead, muttering thanks to God, Jesus, Buddha, Zoroaster, and any other deity he could think of, He burst out of the forest onto his very own property. God help him, he could see his mother through the parlor window, sitting at a desk, writing a letter, perhaps to him. He slowed his run to a trot, catching his breath. He was in the clear, and only steps remained between himself and his home. Any pain and coldness in his body was instantly replaced with warm feelings of ecstasy and anticipation. To hug his mother, to taste hot, well-seasoned meat, to sleep in a soft, pillowy bed... These had been but fantasies a few days ago, but now they were being fulfilled. A noise, a shuffle of leaves, a clattering of branches. Poor Asa sensed and knew it before he turned to look. The last thing that Asa saw in this living world was that sickening pair of red eyes beneath the black hood and the dark shape rushing at him. Did you enjoy that, friend? If so, go check out my books on Amazon. Buy yourself a copy and continue reading to see what happens to poor Asa McCoy. Thank you for watching this episode of Fangs and Folklore, and as always, sleep well if you can.